0: I think you all are awake. I can hear you singing. I can hear you worshiping. We're well, going to find out. Um, I want you uh, to turn to your neighbor here, and I want you to tell whoever you're sitting by uh, that you are a leader. All right. All right. Okay. I'm just going to ask you, do you believe that? Right? Do you believe that, that you're a leader? Some of you believe it. Some of you are natural leaders. You, you like leading, and so um, you see maybe the title of the message this morning, Christian Leadership, and you get excited about that. Some of you um, immediately kind of just think, well, this message isn't for me. I'm not a, a leader, right? If, you don't, if you're not like kind of a front person, um, if you don't like being in charge, maybe you put yourself in that category but the truth is is that everybody's a leader i I think some of you just kind of had the wrong definition of leadership if you've ever taken our next steps classes you'll know um that i teach this and I, i get this definition from a guy named chris hodges chris hodges is a pastor Of uh, what has been one of the fastest growing churches, if not the fastest growing church in the United States, um, in Alabama. And he's a really good leader, and he does know something about leadership. And and so um, he defines leadership in this way, and I think this is really helpful for us as a church. He defines it as this way He says, Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. It's about influencing others in a worthwhile cause. It's not dependent on titles or positions. It's dependent on people discovering their gifts and passions and then using them to make a difference in the lives of others. Leadership is influence. I want us to focus this morning primarily kind of on the first part of this definition that he gives us. If this is true, here's the deal. If leadership is influence, everyone leads someone. And so if that's the case, right, you are a leader. If you have friends, right, you are a leader. If you have family members that will look at you, talk to you, be around you, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, get what I mean, right? You're a leader. If you have a job, you're a leader. If you have kids, you're a leader. If you go to church, Right? You, your leader. <laughs> you're a your, your leader. Right? And this morning, I want to talk to you about being a specific type of leader. Because you're at church this morning, I have um, uh, just, i am making an assumption here that you're um, curious about what it is to be a Christian or you are a Christian. And so I want to talk to you this morning about being a specific type of leader. And that is being a Christian leader. I'm not going to give you a whole lot of how-tos this morning. You can read Stephen Covey, Jim Collins, Patrick Lancioni, uh, books, whoever you like to read, read them, and they'll give you some uh, very helpful tips on how to lead. But I'm going to ask that you, if you're going to read those people, right, baptize what they have to say and what I'm about to tell you here. Filter it through, through, through this, this morning. Our text this morning as we try to figure out what it means to be a Christian leader is in Mark. It's in Mark 10, verses 35 through 45. And I'm going to read it, and this is in your notes as well. It'll be on the screen if you brought your Bibles this morning or the Bibles in the pew. They're in they're e, the translation ESV. I'm going to read out of the NLT um, this morning. And so um, here we go, verses 35 through 45 in chapter 10 of Mark's Gospel. It says then James and John the sons of Zebedee came over and spoke to him Jesus here and they said teacher we want you to do us a favor what is your request he asked they replied when you sit on your glorious throne we want to sit in places of honor next to you one on your right and the other on your left but Jesus said to them you don't know what you're asking are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I am to drink are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I am able, must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord over lord over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them but among you it'll be different whoever wants to be a leader of you among you must first be a servant and whoever be first must be a slave of all or everyone else for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many here's what you need to know, right? Here's the first thing that you need to know is that Christian leaders serve solely for the glory of God. Christians' leaders lead for the glory of God. When we look at James and John here, one of the things that we're going to discover is that motivations matter in your Christian life. Your heart matters in Christianity. This is, by the way, one of the things that... Separ- that that teaches us that Christianity is not legalism. Like Christianity flows out of what we want to do for God. Your motivation, Matt, why you do what you do matters. And Christian leadership is leadership through this, this desire to lead for the glory of God. I want to show you what I mean by this as far as our motivations matter. In Matthew 6, 1, Jesus is, is preaching, and this is what he says to the people. He says, watch out. So don't let your good deeds Pub, or don't, don't do your good deeds publicly to, you can underline this if you want, be admired by others, for you will lose your reward from your Father in heaven. Now, I get asked this question quite a bit. It's, it's really interesting, more than what I would think. Um, people will say, well, Josh, I try not to do anything really in front of others. I don't try to give so people ever know that I give or do anything nice so that people see me. And so what I, I kind of get confused. It's like, so you never do anything nice for somebody if other people are around, And they said, well, that's what the Bible tells you. I so, said, well, well, that's interesting. I said, that doesn't seem right. It doesn't sit right, does it? And they're like, no, not, not really. I mean, just to give you an example of this and just kind of to make up a situation, this is kind of a corny situation, maybe. But so just imagine that there's a group of people sitting around and there's this big heavy door and a disabled person is trying to get through this big heavy door. And you know this passage, do, do the, does the entire group just kind of watch this person struggle to get through the door because they believe that it's better for somebody not to see their good deeds to be done to open this door for this person, Right. Uh, of course not. That seems pretty silly, and it doesn't seem like the loving thing to do. Uh, and so Jesus, of course, doesn't mean that you shouldn't do good deeds in front of people. He says, just don't do them so that people would admire you. Uh, people will read that, but they almost like gloss over Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, we are told in verse 16 by Jesus, to so let your light shine before others, so that others may see your good works. So that others may see your good works. And give glory to your Father in heaven. Right? Jesus isn't confused here. Jesus isn't asking people to to do good works so that they can be be seen. He's asking them to do good works so that God might get glory. And this is what distinguishes Christians from other people here. And this is what distinguishes Christian leadership from leadership in general. What we are trying to do as leaders, as influencers, is we are leading and we are working so that God might receive the glory. That's what makes Christian leadership distinct, is God gets the glory. His greatness gets praised. In verses 35 and 37, we see John here and James asking if they can sit to the right and left. John's and James are brothers. They're asking if they can sit to the right and left of Jesus as Jesus is glorified. So what's interesting here is that they're not, like, they're not dethroning Jesus. They were giving Jesus the highest seat of honor. But what they're asking is if they can kind of be in, in second place. And what we're left to assume here is that they, they kind of know Jesus is going to get the honor and glory, uh, but they're not really that concerned with that. What they're concerned with is their position and their glory. And they know that being close to Jesus in this point in time, and by the way, it's still, these two believed that Jesus was going to set up some type of earthly kingdom. He would be crowned king, and they would kind of be his right and second uh, right hand men here. And so they would receive glory from the culture around them and from the people uh, around them. And uh, they were kind of maybe even using Jesus here. If we can be close to Jesus, if we can be his favorite. If we can be most useful to him, when he gets the position that he's going to get, we will get a position of honor and glory as well. And so we need to keep following him for this reason. Now, you've, you, this is not hard to imagine what this looks like, and you've even been in relationships like this, maybe. Maybe you've been in a position of authority, and you've had people, you know, you know what they are, like brown nosers. So you know they want something from you. Right? Being close to you elevates their status in society or in the workplace or wherever it may be. Or that might be you. You are friends with some people primarily because they elevate your status. You think that being around them is somehow going to get you more glory. It's going to make you more important. People are going to look at you and they're going to clap for you or praise for you. And, and right, you know when you do this because you name drop. Right? You've, you've, you've done that before. And To be honest, a lot of us are probably guilty of that sort of thing because we love glory. We love glory. We love to be praised, and and we need to be encouraged. We need to be praised. Uh, But but we love it often more than we love God and more than we want to glorify God. If you're here this morning and you're a good leader, one of the things that you're going to struggle with is pride. You just are. You're going to struggle with pride because people are going to praise you Right, they're going to tell you you're a good leader. They're going to look up to you. You're going to have followers, and at some point in your life, or at some point in time, right, you're going to begin to probably maybe give yourself um, a little bit of self-worship, and this can be very dangerous because you begin to do things that you never set out to do and be the type of person that you never wanted to be. Um, you know, a lot of the leaders that I keep up with, obviously, they're pastors, and um, you know, pastors fail. Right? They, they make mistakes. They do things that they shouldn't do. And, and in this, past, this past year, one of the things that just really hurt my heart um, is two pastors out of Chicago, uh, the, probably pastors of the two biggest churches of Chicago, both had moral failures. Um, one of them, right, if you were to probably categorize the best leaders in the past 30 to 50 years in the church, like top three, he would have made like the top three list. Right? Now, here's what I believe about that man. This is not a bad man. He didn't set out to, to plan a church and write leadership books and help people only to fail. Right? At some point in time, his pride got in the way and he started to do things that he encouraged his congregation not to do. And he fell into a trap. Right? And he lost his position of leadership and his influence was ruined. Right? It's easy to do and it happens happens to top-notch leaders and big organizations, and in big churches, and it happens to people who only influence one or two people, but yet are praised by them. Many people in the New Testament they they try to they try to guard themselves from this. You look at John the Baptist. We've been talking about John the Baptist a couple times as we've been in um, the book of Mark, and what we discover about John the Baptist is John the Baptist is a fantastic preacher and leader. Right, people are leaving to go to the wilderness to hear this man preach and teach. And one of the things that he does and he says is that he points at Jesus and he says, he must increase and I must decrease, right? That's one of the things that he has to tell people. And I think he's telling other people that because he has to tell himself that on a daily basis. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and the church in Corinth is a mess. They're God's people, but they're a mess. And they're arguing about who's the better teacher, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow so and so that has come to our church, and th- I was saved under this person's ministry, right? They, 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 these people in this church, instead of giving God glory for the mouthpieces that God had used, they are glorifying their teachers, right? We do that. Right? Well, I was raised in this person's ministry, or, or, or you know, I, I liked it last week better when Jim preached, or I like it when Pastor Josh preaches it, or you know what. I go to church because I like the people there. I'll watch the dude on YouTube. He's better. Right? Yeah. Right. And, and, and so, but we, you know, we, we can even brag to our Christian friends. Like, this person is my primary teacher. And a lot of times we end up, we end up praising the mouthpiece instead of God or praising the tools instead of the owner of the toolbox here. But Christian leadership and, 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 and pride, right? Christian leadership is always about bringing God to glory. So we have to watch our pride and we have to watch who we are glorifying. You see, pride is just not the way of Jesus, right? Jesus himself, which is, this is, I, you, you've, so, one of the interesting things about the New Testament is that you know, right, and even as a church, like, we are supposed to glorify Christ, But what's interesting is when you read in the New Testament, Christ is always glorifying his Father. Uh, and, And at the end of this passage, it says, for even the Son of Man came. Like, even Jesus came, and he submits himself to God here, and it shows that Jesus is a, is a servant of his Father, and Jesus' ministry was about glorifying his, his Father. And when we look at Jesus and we look at his ministry, even his ministry was rooted not necessarily bringing himself glory, which he deserves and which he's going to get, but glorifying his Father. And I just wonder how many of our lives, really, if we were to ask people around us, it, if you were to ask your, your friend, right, who do I bring the most glory to? Or, or why am I living my life? Or what do you think my motivations are? If you were to ask your family members that or your children that, or people in the church even, what would they say about you? Right? What would they say? Christian leadership is always, is always to glorify God. Christian leaders also will do and make sacrifices. Christian leaders will suffer and make sacrifices. Now, we don't like this. Right? We don't. Um, we hate suffering uh, in our culture. We just do, we'll do anything we can to avoid suffering, right? Uh, Josh, I will promise I'll help as long as I don't have to suffer or as long as I don't have to make a sacrifice, right? As long as it's not an inconvenience. I and mean, we even have kind of jokes to make kind of light of this sort of thing in our culture. We call them first world problems, right? So I printed off some first world problems jokes here. Just to kind of think about, just to show, right? We really we we don't like suffering. Here's one: my hand is too fat to shove into my Pringles container, so I'm forced to tilt it. I had too much food for lunch, and now I'm tired. I forgot to bring my phone with me when I went to the restroom, and I was bored the entire time. I can't hear the TV while I'm eating crunchy snacks. My minivan isn't nice as my friend's minivan, right? Guilty. <laughs> we have tape now on our, one of our mirrors that I broke off pretty bad. <laughs> uh, here's one. I, I always run out of shampoo and conditioner at different times. I, I don't. You don't need conditioner for your back hair, so. <laughs> Good thing Emily's not here this morning, so. J.T.'s sick. But. So, so Jesus and them, he's interested. So these, these men, they, they, they say, hey, Jesus, can of sit on to your right and to your left? And Jesus asks them a question. And, and the question that Jesus asks these men, he goes, well, can you even bear the, the suffering that I'm going to bear, the cup that I'm going to bear? And when you're first reading through that, you're, if you're a student of the Bible um, or theology, You're going, no, of course they can't. Like you're you're ready for Jesus kind of to lay the hammer down because they are not able to die for the sins of the world. That is the cup that Jesus is going to bear. He's gonna suffer to bear the sins of the world. They are not gonna be able to suffer for that same reason. It's just not gonna happen. They're not able to. And so you're waiting for Jesus to say, no, you're not able to do this. But Jesus actually responds in a completely different way because they say yes (laughs) and He's like, yeah, you are. Jesus says, yeah, you, you, you can. And so you, and that's weird. So in a specific way, like these men are not going to suffer the same way that Jesus suffers. But in a very general way, they are going to be expected as followers of Jesus to suffer and make sacrifices for him. And one of the things that, I, you know, I've always tried to do with all of you is just be upfront what it looks like following Jesus. Right, so, following Jesus can be difficult. It, it, it can be hard. Right? Yes, Jesus. If you're an alcoholic, right, your life can get better following Jesus. Right, he can turn your life around. Right, if you have an addiction, he can turn your life around. If you have some relationships that need to be fixed, he can turn your life around. But it doesn't mean that living for Jesus will always be easy. Jesus Himself suffers. Jesus is on God's mission, and God's mission, right, requires the suffering of Jesus. Now. I get asked every once in a while to preach about heaven, and I really haven't preached about a heaven a whole lot because I don't know a whole lot about heaven. Never been there, right? It gives you a little bit, right? There are books written on it, all those sorts of things. But there's, there's not a ton of information about heaven. But one thing I do know about heaven is there'll be no more suffering. There'll no, be no more tears. There'll be no more crying. Jesus left that to come here. Just, if that's the only thing he did, right, that's really interesting to think about. That Jesus left heaven to to come to earth. Like that alone, right, if all you know is perfection, if all you know is ease, if all you know is a pain, kind of a painless existence, to come to a painful existence would be full of suffering, and Jesus then comes to the earth. He lives like you and I did, suffers like you and I did, but then goes to the cross. He dies for our sins. And what he's told, and what he tells these men in, in verse 40 is that through his suffering, he is going to be exalted. Jesus gets exalted because he suffers. He receives glory because his suffering. All his glory comes after his suffering. And I believe that so many of us as Christians are on a mission we are on a mission to avoid suffering, right? If a relationship gets hard, I mean, we're out. If a job gets hard, right? Or or, or if people ask us to to bend, you know, our, our, our ethics, our values that Christ teaches us, we're either quiet or we'll just go along with it. If something requires money to fix, We'll go join a different group. Maybe just something simple. Right? <laughs> you should play with your children, but you're tired. Right? So just retreat. Or you should pray with them. Right? You're tired, so you just retreat. But here's the deal. Christian leadership will always cost you something. Influence will always cost you something. <laughs> And here's the truth, right? Even if even if you don't believe in Christ, a life worth living will always cost you something. It will. You see, Jesus Christ is on a mission to come to die for the sins of the world. You too are on a mission. You too have a calling. You do. You have a calling to bring God glory in your own unique and special way. And you are responsible for that calling. And some of you, and some of us, right, we try to avoid that calling when that calling leads us to suffer or to sacrifice, and the truth is, is that our life is missing a lot of meaning because we're not willing to suffer, we're not willing to sacrifice. So many of us have been taught that to be happy means to avoid sacrifices, it means to avoid suffering, and that is not true, church, right? It's, it's not. Happiness is not the absence of difficulties, Happiness will take place and will come, and you have more joy and happiness if you are living for something worth living for, right? If, if you have things in your life worth suffering for, if you are not willing to suffer, you have nothing, will, you have nothing to live for, right? What it basically teaches, right, if you're not willing to suffer, if you're not willing to sacrifice, you love no one or nothing more than yourself, What's the first commandment? To love God and to love others. Right? Get this right after Jesus dies. Which is really confusing for me because I think the American church is even um, confused about this, right? And a lot of books that are being published are confused about this. Right? They, they all talk about just how happy you'll be or how easy life will be kind of after becoming a Christian. Right? Um, <laughs> But none, it's not for any of these men who follow Jesus. Take James, for example. You can look this up. I'm not going to get into this, but go to Acts chapter, or Acts chapter 12, verse 2. James is killed by Herod for sharing Jesus with people. He loses his life premature because he defi- decides to follow Jesus. John here, John is like he's the love guy. He wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he wrote Revelation. And what we discover in the book of Revelation is John is in prison on the island of Patmos there. And as far as we know, he never got off. He was either killed on that island or he died in prison. All for Jesus. What this teaches us here is that these guys love Christ. They love God so much that they were willing to give their lives for them, him. And here's what I believe about these men <laughs> these men weren't unhappy, right? These men weren't out without meaning, these men weren't without purpose. Yeah, life was hard, but they were willing to give everything. And you want to talk about glory? Right? We're talking about them today. Right? We're talking about men who made sacrifices, who suffered. Right? Those are the types of leaders that last. I could give you examples of, even se- of leaders in our country and those, things, those sorts of things, but I'm not going to. Right? That's true. Christians leaders, Christian leaders will suffer, and they'll make sacrifices Third is simply this: is that Christian leaders are servant leaders. Christian leaders are servant leaders. Christian leadership is for God and for the benefit of others. If you were here last week, uh, Jim South kind of laid a little bit of the foundation for this. By the way, if you um, were here last week and you read the text last week and then you read this again, you'll realize that Jesus has to repeat Himself. That that they don't get this concept, and this is the concept that they don't get, right? If you're going to follow Christ. Um, if you're going to have the influence that Christ wants you to have, you're going to have to serve. This is the part. Christ has to repeat himself. And there's not a lot of time. There's not a lot of distance um, in between this. And Jim said something beautiful last week. And Jim, I don't know if you came up with this, if you read it somewhere, but I'm going to give you credit for it. Because Jesus, at the, at the end of our teaching last week, he says um, uh, to, to, to be great, right, you have to be a servant. And then Jesus calls the child over to himself. And he says, uh, to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be like this child. And what Jim said last week is that Jesus gave us the example of children to teach us that to be important in the kingdom of God, you have to become the most unimportant person in the room. To be important in the kingdom of God, you have to become the most unimportant person in the room. That was good, Jim. Now I'm getting, you got credit for that, all right? So, how do we do this, right? Because I don't know about you, but I like to be the important person in the room sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, in verse forty-one, I think he would want us to do this. He'd want us to check our heart for unhealthy ambition. You see, um, this is not just a problem that John and James had. This is a problem that all the disciples have. What we're told, and then all of the other the other ten at this point, they go, "Well, wait, 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 wait a second. <laughs> why does why would they get that position? Hold on." I mean, why would they care, right? They're all following Jesus. They're all on the same, mi- if Jesus wanted to, them to sit to the right and to the left, he had every right to do so. He's Lord, not them. He's their leader, right? Why? Because they're no better. <laughs> they are no better than James and John. And, and, and some way, these guys have to be thinking, like, if, they, if these men get elevated, if James and John get this position, it must lower us somewhere on the totem pole. Like, we must lose out, Somehow, And so they're not happy. And so I just envisioned them, right, before maybe they go to Jesus, all right, if this doesn't work, right, if us coming to Jesus and, and, and objecting to them sitting on the right and the left, we have to figure out how to sabotage these James and John's character. How do we convince Jesus that they don't deserve it? So maybe a rumor mill starts. I don't know, right? None of you would ever participate in anything like that. Yeah, No. Right, you have to check your heart from some unhealthy ambition yourself. Second thing right, you're, you're going to have to do to be servant leaders, you're going to have to commit not to exploit people. Right? Not to exploit people. In verse 42, Jesus calls to them. He calls them together and he says, You know the rulers of this world, Lord, over their people, and officials flaunt their authority to those under them. Now what Jesus doesn't do, right? Jesus isn't here trying to basically kick down every human authority. Jesus is not against hierarchies. He's not against authority figures. He's not. But what Jesus is trying to let these men know that if you are ever in leadership, right, if you are ever given authority over somebody, there is an explicit danger that you have in your life. And it's simply to, to, for you to believe that you are better than other people because of your position. And if any of you have ever been in a leadership position, you know how easy this is to fall into. I am able to give this person orders or to ask this person to do this because for whatever reason, I'm better than them. And what Jesus is saying is, no, this is not true, and this is what people who decide not to follow me will behave like, And so we can think of it like this, maybe as Christians, right? It's not that you have to do everything as a leader. You don't. You can't. Nobody can do everything, right? People have certain roles, positions, gifts, so forth, But if you ever get into the business of continually to ask people to do things that you yourself could never imagine yourself doing, or maybe your children doing, right, you've probably fallen fallen into the area of exploiting people for your benefit and for your good. The third thing that we all have to do as servant leaders is we have to do our part, in verses 43 and 44, Jesus says this. He says, I'm going to compare you to the leaders of the world, those who aren't going to follow me, but this is what you're going to be like. You're going to be a leader who's going to be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of everyone else, of everyone else. I was talking to a a guy who has worked his way up in his company um, uh, and was given a leadership role. And um, I was asking him, because I'm curious about leaders, how how, how do you lead? Like, what's your leadership style? And, and how did you learn? And I said, obviously, your personality probably plays into it. And I said, well, what about your experience? And he said, well, um, when my supervisor got the job that I now have, I remember um, walking into his office one day to ask him a question about something I needed to do in his job. And he said, I walked into his office one day and I, he was sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, ah, oh, so I figured out what he did. Um, <laughs> And he said, so I decided when I got that position that I was not going to be like that, right? Uh, in the church, we kind of joke around um, uh, pastors and, and leaders in the church. We, we talk about this thing called the, the 80-20 rule. And basically what it teaches is that 80% of the work in any church, um, and it's probably true for a lot of organizations as well, in any church, 80, 80% of the people, or 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. Right? And so basically what that teaches is there's just an imbalance right, of service. right. And what's true of the church often, and, and by the way, I think our church is better than that. right? We're at least 70, 30. I don't know. Um, no, we're, we're just, this is a pretty good church. But this is something to think about, right? Not just in the church, but in your homes, in your, in your workplaces. I'm convinced that there's probably an imbalance right, of people doing their part With their families. There's there's probably an imbalance in your workplaces. There's probably an imbalance with your friendships. Your friend's always calling you. Your friend's always helping you. Your friend's always serving you. It's really easy to do that. It is. It's easy to get that way. And if you're a leader here, you can grow frustrated and so forth. But a good leader knows that you can't control others. I I know that as a pastor of a church, I don't... I shouldn't control you. I don't want control over you. But what I can control is myself. And when it comes to doing our part, that's all we can do. We can control ourselves and we can set an example and we can motivate others through what we do and what we give and what we sacrifice and who we are. So, Christian leaders lead for the glory of God. They will suffer and make sacrifices. They are servant leaders. And fourth and finally, and you're going to say, duh, Josh, right? Is that Christian leaders are Christians. Christian leaders are Christians. Here's the deal. Here's the deal, right? If you are a good leader and experience for success, what will happen is you will grow proud if you are not a Christian. If you experience success and if you are a good leader, you will grow proud, So that's one thing that will happen to you, potentially. This is why you need to be a Christian. Another thing that will happen to you, potentially, if you are a servant leader, Christian leader, you will either grow proud or you'll grow bitter and resentful, one or the other, proud or bitter bitter and resentful, because here's here's what will happen if you are a Christian leader and you are serving others and you are pouring your life out and you are suffering and you are making sacrifices, right? Somebody will come to you with unhealthy ambition, and they'll try to take advantage of you. Somebody will try to exploit you. You will surround yourself with people who probably won't do their part, and you will learn to hate them, right? You will grow bitter, and you will grow resentful among the people around you that you are leading and influencing, so when I say Christian leaders are Christians, what I mean is that they root themselves in verse 45 in the story. And it says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. So here's why you need to be a Christian. Believe that, that Jesus right, was the ransom for you, it insulates you from pride. Right? That verse will insulate you from pride. You will believe that you were so bad that Christ had to die for you. Get this, Jesus Christ died for you because you have unhealthy ambition. Right? In your life, you have expressed unhealthy ambition. You have exploited people or manipulated people to, <laughs> at times. Right? You have not done your part at different points in your life. And Christ had to die for that. That's deeply humbling if you really believe it. It is. Second, if you believe verse 45, it'll keep you from harboring bitterness. If you believe that Christ had to die for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins, it will keep you from harboring bitterness and hate and anger. Because what we're told, right, if you're gonna receive the forgiveness of Christ is that you have to give it to others. Without believing this, without believing this, you can serve all of your life. Now, you see it happening, people serving, right? Because they they, they wanna do good, they wanna follow Jesus. And what happens, they eventually get to the point where they're done, and they want everyone else to serve them, to help them. And what they're doing at this point in their life is, is they are making people serve them, right, back. It's now time for you to serve me. You are paying me back for my years of service towards you. And if that's you, the truth is is, is that you didn't serve from love, right, in the first place, but you, you were serving for love. You didn't serve from your love of God that you want to serve just because you love God, but you served maybe for God's love and so that other people would serve you. And so what happens in your life is that you grow angry at other people and you're gonna make them earn your love back, your love, because you've spent years making them earn, or trying to earn theirs. And you get disappointed when they don't. And this stops Christian leadership and influence, love, service, in its tracks. And it happens all the time in the church. It happens all the time. And only because we forget the gospel, only because we serve not out of our love for God, not out of our love for people, but to get love from God, to get love from people, and we forget that we are served. We forget that we are loved. We forget that we serve and lead in the first place, not because we leave, need love from God. Church, you already have that, and we don't serve or lead because we need glory. That all belongs to God, anyways. Right? Remember. We serve for the glory of God from the love of God. And this is why, if you want to be this kind of leader that I described to you today, you've got to be a Christian. Let us pray. Father, this morning we come to you as somebody who has taught us how to be the leader through your son, Jesus Christ. We know that you've given us all a mission. We know that you've given us all... A calling in our life to bring you glory, and so we pray that we bring you glory with the influence that we have. We know, Father, that it can be difficult to follow you because it takes suffering and it takes sacrifices, and we pray that we're able to do it with joy. We pray that we do not forget that our commitment to you gives our life meaning and it gives our life joy, it gives our life happiness, so I pray that we don't avoid it. Father, I pray that we are servants. I pray that there is nothing that we aren't willing to do. We know that none of us, not one of us, Father, can do everything in this church. Not one of us can do everything in our workplace. Not one of us can do everything in our families, Father, but we can simply see ourselves as servants in those places, and I pray that you help us to do that. If we are struggling with this right now, Father, I pray that you make us more Christian. I pray that we believe that you came not to serve, or not to be served, Father, but to serve and they give your life as a ransom for ours. I pray, Father, that if we have grown to be prideful Christians, prideful leaders, that you forgive us of that, and you help us turn from that, and you remind us of the gospel, you remind us that Jesus Christ had to die for us, not because we were good, but because we are sinners. And Father, I pray that we're reminded of the second part of that truth, is that Christ died because he loves us, And because he has forgiven us. And so I pray, Father, that if we have served maybe our entire life, or even just for a little while, we begin to grow resentful and bitter towards other people, that you remember that that we weren't serving for our glory anyways, and that we are serving you because we are loved and we are forgiven. And so I pray, Father, that you protect our hearts from any bitterness and resentment. If there's anybody here this morning, Father, who is not a Christian, I pray that you let them know right now that no matter what they've done or who they are, that you have died for them, that you have forgiven them, and that you have the power to set them free from their past to forgive them of their sins. That you rose from the dead to teach us, Father, that not only is there a life to come, which is, is true, and we are thankful for that. There's nothing better than that but that we can be set free from our sin and our life of sin and our guilt and our shame right here and right now that we can have hope. I pray, Father, that our souls are made well in this place as we have the privilege of leading and influencing others for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.